This week we're, we're jumping backwards into 1 Samuel chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7. 4, 5, 6, and 7. There's 72 verses in these four chapters. So I'm not going to read them uh, all. And I think you would uh, appreciate that. But I do encourage you and I recommend that you dig into these chapters yourselves. That you really seek God after you've listened to this message where you have a, a, maybe a better grasp about what is happening because then you'll be able to pull things out even more. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a summary of each of those chapters so we can understand uh, where we're going. We started things out uh, a few weeks ago with shattered expectations and shattered families in our first two studies. Uh, we talked about and heard about Hannah giving up her firstborn, Samuel, if you remember that. Uh, she wanted to give him up for, uh, to the Lord for his service. And the priest Eli, he got the opportunity and he was allowed to be Samuel's mentor, which is a tremendous thing. Um, however, while it appeared that Samuel, he was growing in uh, with his relationships with the people, with his relationship uh, with the Lord, Eli's two boys, who were also serving as priests, they weren't caring about others much, were they? They, they, they were doing what seemed right to them. And we do that all too often. We do what seems right to us. And it was proclaimed by God that Eli, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that they would die on the same day and that Eli's lineage would be cut off. That's a sad, sad situation. So now today, we're going to talk about shattered religion. Shattered religion. That's what these, ver these chapters are about, chapters 4 through 7, shattered religion. Chapter 4 is, a, is when a war against the Philistines broke out against the Israelites. So the Israelites go out into battle against the Philistines, and 4,000 people were killed from the Israelite nation. The people of Israel, they gathered together, and they were led by Hophni and Phinehas, who I just mentioned. And they asked themselves why they couldn't beat the Philistines. Why in the world could they not beat them? They had God on their side. Well, as they were talking to themselves, that's what they stuck with. They stuck with talking to themselves instead of going to God. And this was a huge mistake. They decided that they were going to take the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to use the Ark of the Covenant and take it, take it with them into the battle so they could defeat the enemy, almost using the Ark as a good luck charm. Just utilizing the Ark as a good luck charm. Remember what the Ark was, uh, that it was constructed and it held sacred items. You know what items it held? It held uh, the Ten Commandments. It held a jar, a manna. Remember the manna that was provided from heaven? And it, and, and it contained Aaron's rod. Those are the only three major things that we, we can understand that it held. And this was sacred stuff to the people. And they were excited what they thought they had a weapon on their side. You guys remember uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? And, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for the Ark. I mean, that was the basis behind that. Um, and so they were excited that they had this weapon. But what happened? 
Well, the Philistines, they were so scared. They heard, they heard all the uh, Israelites like cheering and, yeah, we've got the ark. They're pumped because they have this good luck charm. And, and the Philistines were like, oh my goodness, we are not going to be take, taken captive by them. But we, we, we are not going to lose and go into slavery because they're so excited and they're going to attack us. So we're going to attack them right now. Well, when they attacked them, it became a horrible day in the history of the Israelites. More than 30,000 foot soldiers were killed that day. 30,000. Including, as told by God, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Along with that, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. It became theirs. They got to do what they wanted with it. When, when that happened, when all this was happening and the cries were coming out, a, a man ran back to the camp where Eli, the high priest, was sitting, just trying to listen. He couldn't see that well. I think he was 98 or something, if I remember right. And, and, and he's, he's sitting there, and he hears all the cries, and this man runs in, and he's tell, he could hear him telling people, and he comes to Eli, and he said, what happened? He said, we've lost everyone. 30,000 people have died, and your two sons have been killed. Oh, by the way, we also lost the Ark of the Covenant. Well, Eli, he was a fat man. If you read that in there, that's an interesting verse. He was heavy, big. He tumbled over at that point, hit his head against the gate, and he died. Not a good day in the history of the Israelites. Eli had judged Israel for 40 years at that point. Tens of thousands of people were lost. Eli's sons were dead. It just wasn't a good day. Chapter 5 starts talking about the Philistines. And the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. So they needed to do something with it. And they thought, we have a good luck charm, if you will. Very superstitious. Most religions are superstitious. And they thought, you know what? We are going to put that in the exact same house with their god, uh, Dagon. And Dagon was a combination of both man and fish, uh, a fertility god. And, and, and what that was going to do was it was going to give the Philistines the most powerful god ever. Well, the Philistines, they were surprised because the next morning they walk in and Dagon, their statue, was on the ground face down right in front of the ark, almost as if bowing to the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Philistine officials were not happy about this, so they quickly got their statue back up, standing up, because they, couldn't, they didn't want the people to see this at all. So then we move on to the next day, and the same thing happened, except for this time the head and the hands were cut off. Whew, this wasn't good. Well, while this was happening, in that territory, in that vicinity, people were getting sick. People were 
scared, like truly frightened, not knowing why they were frightened. They were getting tumors and boils, and people were dying. And so that, that place, Ashdod, they said, you know what, we got to get rid of this thing. And they moved it to another location, still within their control. And that location had the same exact thing. They got frightened. They, got, they, they, they started getting tumors. Tumors growing in all places. So they moved it again. And they moved it again. They did this for seven months. Seven months. Finally, they said, we don't want this thing. This thing isn't good luck. It's bad luck. It's bringing us evil things. And so they wanted to get rid of it and give it back to the Hebrew people. And so they, 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 they put it on uh, two, two uh, cows that had just given birth, and, and, and they sent it off uh, with uh, some guilt offerings, I, I believe golden mice and golden tumors, a, a, as a way of, again, superstition. And, and they sent it off to the people, and they were hoping that these cows would leave their new young young babies, the young calves, in which they did. And that was a sign to them that everything was good. But when the Hebrew people accepted, they saw them, they were excited, they cheered, they offered their own little sacrifice. They used those cows. Well, that wasn't correct. And they weren't following God again. And 70 people died from the Israelite camp at that point. I mean, we have some major things happening in these verses. We move to chapter 7. This is where Samuel finally said, you know what, I'm taking leadership. I'm the judge. I'm the high priest. And he demanded his people to give their lives to the Lord. Verses 3 and 4 says a lot in chapter 7. That's what I'm going to read today. Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel... If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away all the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people, this is crucial, so the people put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word. We pray that we can learn from understanding scripture more. That we can apply scripture, no matter how old chronologically it is, that it's still relevant today. Change us today, God. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Throughout the ages, throughout the ages, we have seen shattered religions. Shattered religions. Just as we saw examples of shattered religion in 1 Samuel, we, we see it today. We'll, we'll take a, let's take a little ride in, in history right now. 1978. Do you remember a guy by the name of Jim Jones? sure many of you do here. Jim Jones, uh, he took his followers, including many of his own family, not all of his own family, some of them left his, their dad, to Jonestown, Guyana. And he preached his false religion. 
this shattered religion, do you remember what happened? A mass suicide of about 900 people, a little over 900 people. 209 of them were 13 years or younger. Shattered religion. How about the year I graduated high school, 1993? Waco, Texas. I know many of you remember that. I, I literally remember seeing, watching, uh, I don't know, I assume it was CNN at the time, and watching the fires. David Koresh, as his name was officially changed, that wasn't his original name. He was leading a large group of followers around the world. It wasn't just in Texas. He spent much, a lot of time in Israel and, and other locations around the world. And... and Eventually, David and about 80 of his followers, uh, they barricaded themselves in Waco, Texas, in a compound. And they had a long showdown, uh, just a, a showdown between the ATF and eventually the FBI for 51 days. 51 days. Many of the ATF officers died. I think five of them might have died in that uh, battle. And, and all... 80 people uh, that were in the compound died as well. What for? Why? Because David Koresh told them that this was the time that they should die. David claimed that he had cracked the code. This was his claim. He had cracked the code of the seven seals of the book of Revelation. He convinced his followers that the Lord willed the Davidians, that's what they called themselves, that, he, that they were to build an army of God, and so they started stockpiling weapons in preparation for this. It was a shattered religion. One more shattered religion that I thought about, these were all ones that I thought about, and, and then I, I made sure I had the information right, because I, I was just thinking to myself, what are shattered religions? Marshall Herf Applewhite. Anyone remember that? what that was? It was 1997, and he claimed for years, since the middle of the 70s, that he was the new Messiah. As his group, Heaven's Gate, Heaven's Gate, they list, listened to their leader, it became apparent that they must give up their earthly bodies so they can get their heavenly bodies. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> so they can give, get, get rid of their earthly bodies. Dave, you want to check that out? Maybe someone wants to come in. We're welcoming. Bring them on in. Uh, they gave up their earthly bodies for their heavenly bodies. You know, you know what they did? They, they sacrificed themselves. They committed group suicide. Why? Because they wanted to jump aboard the spaceship that was flying behind Hale-Bopp Comet. There was a comet going by Earth at the time, and they believed that if they committed suicide, that they'd be able to jump aboard that ship. Shattered religion. We, we see it repeat itself over and over. I literally could probably talk this entire time for the next hour to two hours about different shattered religions that we have seen. And many of them 
guess what, are in our backyards. Many of them you guys probably respect and trust. Shattered religions are all around us. And there are certain characteristics that I think that we should be educated on uh, about shattered religions and what their characteristics are. And first and foremost, shattered religions have poor leaders and they have poor followers. They have poor leaders and they have poor followers. And the scripture is clear that this attack on the Philistines by the two fellows that were similar to David Koresh and similar to, to Marshall Herf Applewhite, that they had poor leadership. They had poor leadership because they wanted to advance their own agendas. They had their own agendas that were developed by themselves. It, they were looking at themselves as, how do I further my agenda uh, first and foremost instead of God's? And, and as you're looking at me, and as you look at Dave and the elders, that's, that's things you need to be asking. Are they trying to advance their own agenda? Are, are they trying to accomplish things for themselves as opposed to bowing their knee for the Lord? Do you guys remember what Hophni and Phinehas were doing? I believe it was in chapter 2 we, we learn about that. Hophni and Phinehas, they, they were priests and they were leaders and they were eating the fatted calf. The, all, all the fatted meat. So normally that all goes to God. Instead, they said, I want it for me. And that more than that, they were committing sexual immorality on a consistent basis. On a consistent basis. And they were taking advantage of them. And so these guys, they were crazy. And they haphazardly led the Israelites into a battle that they had no business being in because they had a shattered religion. They believed that God would go before them and take care of business. And you know, these followers, they were making bad choices too because they were haphazardly following Hophni and Phinehas. They saw what they were doing. People knew what they were up to. It, it wasn't a secret. And they were following. And, you know, we, we do that all the time. We follow people. We follow small groups of, of leaders that they're not founded on the right principles. They have a flawed... Um, their, their, their principles of both the followers and the leaders are flawed. And that's what happens in shattered religions. We have, we have something that's flawed, and it's probably a good time if I define what a shattered religion is. And that's what, that's what we, the, the preaching team, came up with uh, to, talk, uh, to talk about these chapters. Is It's a shattered religion. Shattered religion is a belief that a symbol or an activity of faith, a symbol or an activity of faith, is what, bring, uh, is what brings the blessing of God automatically. If you do a certain activity, you're going to be close to God. Or if you, do, if you have a certain symbol, in this case the Ark of the Covenant, you will have God's favor. And that's a shattered religion. That's a sign of a shattered religion. We had two characters, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were both 
uh, believed, because they were priests, that they can go in and battle and take on any group of people, no matter who it was. And they could defeat them because they'd be blessed by God automatically. They had flawed principles, very flawed. And their faith, it was weak because their foundation was poor. And that's crucial for us to understand that without some major intervention in this particular situation with Hophni and Phinehas, that they would be destroyed, that destruction would be occurring. Take, for example, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know the history behind the Leaning Tower of Pisa. In the early 1100s, uh, they got this grand idea that they were going to build this, this tower, this beautiful structure for everybody to see. They knew it was going to take a long time to build, and, and so that they start building it. And they got just past the first story of it. How, how tall is it? 183 feet tall it is today. So they just got past the first story. I think it's 17 floors today. And they're just getting ready to start the second story. And all of a sudden, it starts sinking. I'm like, oh boy, what's going on? And so they were trying to figure out what in the world was going on. And well, they had, they had put it on some very unstable subsoil. And so it started sinking down on one side. And so they were very concerned about that because they had this huge structure that they were building. Well, the tower now, it, it leans 12 feet to the side in measurement. In the early 2000s, they had to do massive construction work in order to maintain it because they were, they were anticipating, I think it was by 2003 or something, that it was going to fall over because it was, it was gaining like a, a quarter of an inch every year of falling over. And so they had to do major construction, reconstruction, because there was no foundation. The foundation was weak. It was put on sand, if you will. And, and, and we see that all, all the time where people, they're focused on the outside things. Remember when I had the fire in my, in my oven? Remember that? And I, I shared that story uh, where I, I, I had the, the grease that fell from my turkey in the oven and outside the oven and I cleaned up everything on the outside, and I cleaned up the floor, and wow, the oven looks so good. But I forgot to clean the inside. I forgot to take care of the inside stuff. And, and, and the fire broke out because I didn't take care of the inside stuff. Our foundation has to be so solid on God's word, on, on what it is, because uh, we, we need to look at what our principles are. What am I grounding myself into? And Eli's sons, they weren't looking at the requirements that God was putting forth. Our other examples, they weren't looking at all of Scripture and trying to understand all of Scripture uh, in what it was saying. They were all looking at God in some way. They definitely were. All these people in some fashion, all the examples, 1 Samuel uh, examples, our worldly examples, they're all looking to God in some fashion, but only picking and choosing what they wanted. 
Do you do that? Do you pick and choose what you want? Sometimes people think the scripture is outdated. This doesn't apply anymore. This doesn't mean anything. Where is your foundation? What are you truly digging into? I would challenge you that you start digging into God's word. And if you have a question about something, dig in more. Read commentaries. Ask friends, what, what, what does this mean? Find a pastor, an elder, for assistance. If you do this, you literally will transform your own life. When you're involved in a shattered religion, because you could be right now involved in a shattered religion in your own thoughts and processes, you decide, and you can today, enough is enough. I'm going to get back to the basics. I'm going to get back to the basics, and I'm going to, I'm going to dig in to God's word. I'm going to stop just going through the motions and just coming to church because it feels good, and I'm going to change my life. I'm going to allow God to change my life. That's how you get transformed. And if you don't, just like our other examples, there's going to be a cost. And there's going to be a cost to being involved with a shattered religion. All too often... People finding that find themselves they're trading true faith, they're trading their true faith for superstition. For superstition. Look at Hophni and Phineas, what they did in chapter four. What was their superstition? They believed the ark was gonna take care of them. They 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 believed that they had God's favor because they had the good luck charm. And they could take that into battle. And God would do their fighting for them. You, you know, you know I, I think to myself, when I was studying this, I'm like, could they have been right, though? You think about the ark. Where were a couple other places it was used? Remember uh, Jericho, when they carried the ark and they marched around the walls of Jericho and they did that over and over, day after day, and what finally happened? They gave a great shout, and, and they're holding the ark, and the walls came tumbling down. What about when the Levites, when they just put their toe into the Jordan River, the water parted, just like the Red Sea, because of the power of the ark, right? This isn't a rabbit's foot. It's not a, it's not a good luck charm. You see, the, there's a huge difference, a huge contrast. God demanded that those things happen. They sat and bowed and asked God, please help us, please direct us. And God's command came forth. That's why it was powerful, because of God, not because of the object but God had decided that. I used to be scared to sit anything on my Bible. Like if, if someone put a book on top of my Bible, I'd be like, oh no, stop, stop. I, I held it as a sacred item. And, and it, the word of God is sacred. But the actual object 
isn't necessarily sacred. I wouldn't write in my Bible for, I don't know, six, seven years when I first came to the Lord because I didn't want to mess it up. And then I finally realized that God's word is a tool to instruct us and to, to change us and to transform who we are. It's powerful and it's living. That's the beauty of God's word. It's not a good luck charm. You know, we love superstitions. But I, I'm challenging you that instead of a superstition, just dig into God's word. Dig into all of God's word. Because it will be profitable. Every bit of it. Superstitions, they can't save you either. They lost over 4,000 people initially, thinking God was going before them ahead of time, and then they grabbed their good luck charm, their rabbit's foot, if you will, and then they said, now we're good. Now we're good. And instead, they lost forty or 30,000 people. They lost Phineas and Hophni, which might have been a good thing. And, and then they eventually lost Eli, Again, a bad day in their history. My Chicago Cubs, they're, they're uh, playing now in the NLCS. I, I, I just assume you guys are in a correct, not a shattered religion, and you guys are all Cubs fans. Uh, but, <laughs> but the Cubs, uh, if you were watching in the NLDS, Kyle Schwarber, who hit another home run yesterday, in their loss, but he hit a towering home run. He crushed the ball. He's a lefty, used to be a linebacker, I think at Ohio or Ohio State. And, and I mean, this guy crushed the ball. And it flew. They have this beautiful scoreboard at Wrigley Field now uh, in, in right field, uh, electronic scoreboard. And it flew and what believed to be over the scoreboard. Well, it hit the, uh, I think it's Budweiser on the top. It hit the Budweiser letters over the scoreboard and landed on the scoreboard like it's sitting there. And the Cubs have decided that that ball stays there. That ball does not get moved until after the World Series championship because they believe that that ball will bring them a World Series championship. You see, that ball has nothing to do with them winning a World Series. They'll win the World Series because God wants them to. Oh. <laughs> okay, maybe that's shattered. You know, you coming to church today is, is kind of like that baseball. You coming to church today is not going to get you into heaven. It has nothing to do with it. You going to Bible study... You go into youth group, you, you digging into God's word on your own, you sharing God's message with somebody, none of that has anything to do with you going to heaven. Isn't that interesting to think about? All of those things are great things. Those are all wonderful things. And those are all things that could really strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's the key, is that you have to bow your knee to Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. Are you submitting your life to Jesus Christ and saying, I have no idea 
all I know is that you are great. You are wonderful and that you did everything and I'm nothing. Superstition is a scary and risky thing and it's part of all shattered religions. There's always some sort of superstition. You can't come to church enough to go to heaven. You can't read your Bible enough to go to heaven. You're never going to be good enough. In my father's, in the message that I preached from, I, I got to officiate uh, my father's funeral. And in the message, I said, my dad never thought he was worthy of being um, a follower of Jesus. And, I, and then I said, right after that, my dad was right. He's not worthy, and I'm not worthy, and you're not worthy. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He helps us to be worthy because of his blood, not because of us. Well, what did the Philistines, thank you, what did the Philistines do? They, they captured the ark, and they knew it was a huge deal. And, and, and again, religions are superstitions. So many religions are so many, have so many superstitions. Uh, and, and, and what they did, what the Philistines did, is they shrunk, they shrunk God in his glory. They shrunk God in his glory. They didn't think that God was the Lord of Lords. They saw him as a pen, potential equal to their God. And they thought if they can combine them, they can make a tremendous, huge God. And God's glory is not to be shrunk down to anything. It's not a good luck charm. Remember, God, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's an unbelievable king of kings. Remember the statue? Their statue, I, I, as I told earlier, it fell down. It broke. God's not to be messed with. You can't shrink God down. We serve the creator, not the created. We don't get to create God. Don't shrink God down to a room. God's not just in this room. There's not a location for God anymore. And that's crucial. I come in here to pray uh, most days of the week into this room. And, and Dave and I were talking about that. Uh, he, he does the same thing when he's somewhere. We, we, we go into a sanctuary frequently when we when we pray i remember in college i would go to this little sanctuary that was always open 24 hours a day and it literally was a, a prayer room that the methodist church I, that, that was the affiliation that they had and so i can go in there all at any point never once when i was in there someone else came in and, and i went in there semi-frequently my sophomore and junior year of college and, and i transferred and went to northern my senior year and, and so I went into this place, but I could have prayed right in my bed. I could have prayed wherever uh, I was at, in my car. I could have closed my eyes. I could have opened my eyes. I could have stood up. I could have laid down. I've laid face down before and gone to the Lord. I've stood up and raised my hands up. I, I've sang songs, which you don't want to listen to me sing, but God loves it. You know, all of those things, I'm not shrinking God down. 
because he knows my heart and he knows that I want to praise him and I want to give him all the glory. A symbol. We can't shrink God down and his glory and his beautifulness to a symbol, a cross, a, a, a picture. All of those things are wonderful, fun, beautiful things probably. I have a picture of Jesus and and it's a classic picture of Jesus, and I just love it so much. But, but that's not his glory. That's just for my enjoyment. Maybe I can start a conversation because someone sees that picture. We don't want to shrink God down. God deserves all the glory. Well, we have some corrections that we need to make. We definitely have some corrections that we need to make. We... We, we want to recognize that God is God, that he's the true God, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it happens in uh, shattered religions that we think, we often think of ourselves way too much. We think of ourselves too much. We see too many times pastors around not only our countries, but other countries, but we see it in our countries where they're lifting themselves up as, as they are so wonderful and great and, and grand. And, or they lift you up, the congregation. Man, you guys are wonderful. You guys are great. And we are going to be positive thinking and we're going we're gonna to do great things because we are going to proclaim that we love God and because of that, we are going to get everything we want and what, whatever we, we think we need. I'm an encourager. I really am. That, that's, that's the role God gave me I feel like in my life is I, I lift people up. I told Tim Bedall, uh, our teaching pastor in, in Sugar Grove, I told him, uh, I don't know, nine years ago, I said, I'm going to always encourage you. You'll never come and see me be the guy who's going to rip apart your messages. I may not agree with everything that Tim says, but that's just, I feel like my role that God has given me. I love to lift people up when they're down. I love to make people laugh when they want to frown. And I, I love to, that worked out pretty well. <laughs> but I really love to encourage people. But let me tell you. You are a sinner. You're a sinner. So am I. How's that for encouragement? We're sinners, and we have to acknowledge that. We have to understand that God is the greatest. Our only path to salvation is saying, I'm not worthy. It's all about you, God. Everything is about you. Everything's about you. There's only one person that's ever been perfect, Jesus Christ. We need to stop playing games with God, and we need to have reverence for who he really is. Our time is short on this place we call earth. <laughs> Made it vitally, uh, openly. Uh, I understood that because of losing my dad. Time is short. How many times have I said this? Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have an audience of one. Jacob came to me uh, the other day. He just started basketball. 
just had his first basketball games on Friday and Saturday. And Jacob's a pretty good basketball player, and, and, um, and he brought me his brand new shoes that Grandpa had helped purchase, and uh, they're pretty expensive. Um, that's what Grandpa's are for, I guess. And they're these LeBron James. And, and he hands me the shoes, and, and, and he said, Dad, can you write, um, I can do all things through Christ on my shoes in, in a permanent marker. And, and I looked at them, and I mean, I've written different things on their shoes before. Uh, a, a little verse on the back uh, of their shoe, on the heel. But he wanted me to write it all over the side of the shoe. I mean, totally noticeable. And so I wrote it on a piece of paper first and, like, measured it. And I, I wanted to be uh, very precise how I was writing because once you write a permanent marker, you're not going to get that bad boy off of a shoe. <clears throat> so I wrote it. And, and I wrote through and then Christ really big. And it, it was about 15 minutes later. It hit me. And I, I walked up to, to Jacob. He was upstairs at that point. And I walked up to him. He was in my room talking to uh, my wife, Sherry, his mom. And I said, Jacob, you know what I just realized? I said, I, I've written verses, the address, if you will, several times. But I, I, I've never written the full verse like you had me write in huge letters. I said, you are so responsible now to be playing your game for Christ. Like you're proclaiming that in, in, a, in a weird sense because you have it written on your shoes. It's, it's kind of like someone who puts a, a, um, a magnet or, or something on the back of their car, whether it's a fish or an organization bumper sticker. You're kind of representing that organization too. We always tell that with sports players. Hey, you've got Newark on your chest. Uh, you're representing Newark. You've got Manuka on your chest. You've got Shabana or Indian Creek on your chest. You're representing them. Well, he's representing Christ. I said, so now your audience isn't the audience that are watching you. So that's my theme for this year in his sports, is that just remember, no fans are there. It's only about Jesus Christ. He's your only audience, and that's what we need to remember. Finally, we need to live a life of repentance. We need to live a life of repentance. Remember the Philistines, what they did is they got scared, and so they sent off their, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and they were begging for repentance with their own guilt offering, their own superstitions and their golden stuff. And Samuel came and he said, okay, okay, okay. We have to stop living for ourselves, and we need to beg God for forgiveness. We need to beg God for forgiveness. And you know what he said? He said we need to put away all of our false gods. Do you remember him saying that? And we have false gods today. Money, sex, TV, books. Uh, it, it could be certain programs that we listen to. It could be politics. Anything that is, is taking your focus away from God could be considered a false god. And we see too many examples of, of, of shattered religions around us. We see it all the time. We need to put our foundation on God. We need to read his word from cover to cover. 
I think that's crucial for us to understand in a shattered religion. People don't read it cover to cover. They pick and they choose. And we need to be praising Jesus from the rooftops that he is king and he is king alone. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the salvation that you offer through your perfect son, Jesus. Thankful for his sacrifice. Thankful for his resurrection. I'm thankful, too, that as a church, that we don't think that we are above being a shattered religion, that we continuously challenge one another to make sure that we are sticking to your word, that we are bowing down to you and saying, please teach us. We don't want to talk amongst ourselves and come up with our own ideas. No, God. We beg, we beg so much that you guide us. And I pray that for each person here. That they aren't living their lives for themselves. That they aren't living their lives uh, to um, accomplish their own goals. But instead of talking amongst themselves, they are bowing down to you. And they are asking you, please, teach me. No matter how young or no matter how old, teach me what you want me to do today. Teach me how I can help affect your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.